would you agree that not only just people, but there's tons of topics in life that just love to kill your joy? Let's just talk about some right now. The gas prices. Isn't that just fun? Let's just talk about that. Let's just talk about your finances. Just, you should just do that on your next double date with couples, you know, just whip out your bank statement, just compare finances. Isn't that fun? Yeah? Let's just talk about war. And there's so many topics that, that just seem to just kill your joy and people that seem to kill your joy. And as we uh, were looking at this series, uh, take a look at that. Uh, I, just, I, I just felt from the bottom of my heart, we have got to have a serious dose of joy. I'm de- uh, serious. We need that. We are in desperate need of masses, massive, massive doses. So that's what we're going to do this morning. You and I, we, we need joy. I need joy in my life. <laughs> I need it. And um, it's just not a casual thing that would be nice to have. It is it is literally a fundamental jo- uh, thing. It's a fundamental thing that you and I need joy in our life because without it, I need, I, I, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, without joy in your life, do you not feel overwhelmed? Hello? Yeah, totally. Overwhelmed, overburdened, oppressed like that. Don't hang out with people like that, by the way. It'll take you down. And, and studies have shown, dead serious, studies have shown that the more joy a person has in their life, the more productive we are. In fact, in a recent article in USA uh, Today and, and World News, I totally mess that up, as U.S. News and, and uh, World Report says, that a lot of companies are actually starting to hire joy consultants. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have that job? That would just be awesome. The whole deal for a joy consultant is just to walk around, pop into people's life at corporations, and, and help them become more joyful. That might seem overwhelming in itself, but, but what companies are finding out is the more joy that they are able to build into, into their employees' life, the more productive and happier they are. Because the truth is, you have more energy, right? You, you have more creativity, more productivity, and the more joy you have, the more your life is full. But I, I, I think the problem is we get caught up in circumstantial joy, don't we? Right, and so what I mean by that is, is I, I'm happy and I find joy in my life when things are going well, right? Yeah, like when I have enough finances. Oh, man, life is good. I just got a bonus. Man, life is lame. I just got taxes due, right? Or, or, or life is great. I'm on vacation. Life is horrible. I just came back to work. Or, or life is fantastic. Everything's going great at home. Or man, there's no joy to be found because we just had an argument last night. See, I think our joy is circumstantial. And we start playing these, this, this win-then game, right? So, so when I get all my problems solved in my life, then I'll be happy and joyful. Have you played this game? Yeah, we play it at our house sometimes, right? When I can get that new thing, when I can arrive at this point, when, when these things come into line, when, when, when we have these conversations, when we make this kind of money, blah, 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 then we have pure joy. We have real joy, real happiness. When, when I get married, then I'll be happy and joyful. Hi, Shannon and Matt. They just got married. Hi. Yeah. Woo! Unfortunately, no, I'm just kidding. If I get married, then I'll be happy, right? When we have kids, then we'll be happy. 
which turns into when the kids get out of the house, <laughs> then we'll be happy, right? <laughs> then we'll experience joy. When, when I can retire, oh man, when I can finally retire, then I'll be uh, uh, happy. If I can retire, <laughs> then I'll be happy. And so, it, so it, just, it just continues to change all the time, the circumstantial joy. It's like a moving target all the time. If I can change my situation, then everything will be great. You play, do you play the game? Yeah, I, I find myself playing the game. And here's the deal. If, if your life has to be problem-free before you can actually experience true joy and experience that, that true happiness, um, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to experience it. It'll be a moving target the rest of your life. Because life is a series of problems, and here's the deal. If, if that's true, then you're in a problem right now, or you're just coming out of a problem, or you're about ready to go into a massive problem. Right? Have a great day. Right? Because life is a bunch of problems. And then we come to this verse in the Bible, which kind of torques me off, and I sort of want to slap Paul when he writes it, because here's what he says, Philippians 4.4. 4, it's on the screen here. He says this, Always be full of joy in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. I read that and I go, oh, really, Paul? Really? Always be happy. Always have joy. Well, you didn't live in my shoes this week. You didn't have to pay the taxes that I've paid. You didn't have somebody have a four-car pileup in your, your new van that you bought, and then you went on vacation in, in, in California right on I-5. That's a real experience. <laughs> Paul, you didn't have that problem last week, did you? No, no, you didn't have that problem. Always be joyful. Seriously? Really? For real? I think what Paul is saying here is, man, if we can experience joy, if you and I can actually get to that point and experience real joy and happiness in the middle of our problems and our grief and our discouragement and, and our pressures and financial issues and all of these things, these, these topics that go on and on, if we can experience that, then I think maybe Philippians 4.4 can actually become a reality where I am always, just not part of the time, just not when things work out, just not when circumstances go my way, just not when, when life is great and the, the, the calendar is all sewn up and we're having dinner guests over and everything's happy, but 24-7 but is what Paul is saying here. So today, I want to I take just a few minutes and I want to handle this question is, how can we experience joy no matter what? In spite of my circumstances, in spite of what I, I may actually feel like, in spite of what's going on around me, how can we make Philippians 4.4 a reality in our life? And so here's the deal. When, when we talk about joy, there's no other book that you can go to. There's some other great books, but there's no other book that jo deals with joy so much other than Philippians. And so Philippians is this little tiny short book towards the end of the, end of the Bible. It's written by Paul, and it's all about joy. In fact, it's, got, it's probably one of the most positive books in the entire Bible. They're, they're, in these four chapters, Paul uses this word joy or, or, or variations of the word joy about 16, it could almost be argued like 17 times that he uses the, the, the word joy and happiness and rejoice, he says. And so when things aren't going well, he writes this. Because by the way, and we're going to see this here in a second, Paul wasn't on vacation in California when he wrote this book. He, he wasn't sitting on a beach going, things are great. I think I'm just, I feel the need to write about the greatness of what's going on right now because my circumstances are fantastic. He wasn't on vacation. He was in the midst of crud, and he wrote this book. 
And, and, and the fact is, we're going to kind of squeeze four chapters into our whole entire time here and just kind of survey a little bit here. Paul, we're going to find out, is he was in prison in Rome. He, he wrote this while he was incarcerated. He had been chained to a guard, not just locked up, but chained, physically chained to another human being 24-7, no privacy at all. And on top of that, he's there awaiting execution. And he writes this book. And he writes the most positive book in the Bible. See, Paul, I think, he had every reason to be bitter. He had every reason to be upset and to hold a massive pity party and just declare every day pity day. But instead, in Philippians 4.4, what's he say? I rejoice. I rejoice. I rejoice. I find joy. I do it again. Always, 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 always. What's wrong with this guy? How did he do this? How, in the midst of pressure and, and stress and, and all the things that were going on that were not going well for him, how did he find this joy in spite of his circumstances? What was the secret? So we're going to unpack some of the scriptures today, and we're going to go through, and, and there are going to be about three, three secrets that pop out here. Now, again, I always, I always encourage you to do this, and this is, this is like every other Sunday. I'd love for you. If God is speaking to you this morning, grab your pen and take your program and write down, I believe God's word is alive, it's active, it's his love letter for you. This isn't Andy Marshall just sitting here just going blah, blah, blah. This is God today, his word coming alive for you. So if there's something that hits you today, please, I encourage you to write it down and then to dwell on it this week. Because if you are not living in joy, if your joy is circumstantial, if, if you are surrounded with people that are trying to suck your joy away from you, then there are three secrets here that Paul has to share with you about rejoicing and experiencing joy no matter what your circumstance here. And here's the first one he points out in, in, in Philippians. I'm going to kind of summarize here. Here's what he says. If I'm going to learn to be joyful, if I'm going to learn to rejoice in, in no matter what the circumstance is, then I need a perspective to live from. I need to have some kind of perspective in order to live in my life. Let me just get right to the point. I, I, I think sometimes the reason why you and I get really frustrated, we get confused, and we get uh, discouraged and, and even depressed at times is because we, don't, we can't see the big picture of our life. I, I, I can't see what's going on around, around the corner. I don't see the way God sees. I, I, can't, I can't see the end of my life. But here's the difference is that God sees the chapters that you and I haven't read. He sees all of my life in its entirety and he understands what's going to happen tomorrow even though I don't. He totally does. He sees the big picture. All I can see is the here and now that's right in front of my face. The today, this moment. I, I, I can take cues from the past but I, I do not know what's around the corner. I don't even know if this, this service is going to end today. I have no idea how this is going to go down, but God sees the entire perspective of my life. And so for me to understand joy and for me to, to be able to, uh, to, to live as Paul lives, rejoicing, is I need to get a bigger perspective. I need to get a better perspective than what I've got. And so here, here, here's the truth about God. Here's the truth, is that God continually, I hope you hear this all the time here at K2, 
God continually is working on a plan for your life and a plan for my life. He always has been, even before you knew about God, even before you engaged God, or even before you began to check Him out or even ask questions about God, God has been working on a plan for your life. It's not always been obvious, but that is the truth. And so if that is the truth, I think Paul understands this, and he understands that his perspective has got to line up with God's perspective. He needs a better point of view. Check this out, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Remember, Paul's in prison as he says this. Here's what he says. I want you to know that everything has happened to me here. Everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. So, so what's he saying here? More, more than anything, Paul wants people to know that, that God is, is madly in love with them. That's what he's saying. Has spread the good news. What is the good news? God is madly in love with people. God has an amazing plan for people's life. That Jesus Christ loves them. That died for them. And has given them a purpose. And there's eternity waiting. That's what Paul's talking about. He's like, that's the good news that's been spread. And so Paul's idea is, I'm going to go to Rome. And I'm going to preach in the Colosseum, and I'm, I'm going to go to the capital of the entire empire, Rome, and I'm just going to spread the good news. That was Paul's idea, to spread the good news. God had a different idea. God kind of said, hey, Paul, hey, you're, you're going to Rome, <laughs> but really kind of not the way you think you're going. You're going as a prisoner, and, and not only that, but you're going to be a, a royal prisoner of the Caesar and, 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 and who, by the way, do you, know, do you know who the Caesar was at that time? Anybody know? Take a guess. Any historians in here? The dude's name was, was Nero. Th- this guy, this guy was, was awful. He was the worst Caesar of all times. The worst leader of all times. Just evil, pure evil. So, so Paul is a royal prisoner of this dude. Paul's thrown into jail. He's put into chains. He's chained 24 hours a day to, to one of the palace guard. They call him the Praetorian Guard. They were the elite, the, uh, the top-notch crack troops. They were picked by, by Nero himself. In fact, these, these guys, these were the close guys to Nero. They were his buddies. They were his friends. And this is who Paul's uh, totally chained to. So, so you got to ask yourself, how in the world then did the gospel spread? If Paul's sitting, rotting away in jail, chained to somebody 24 hours a day. If you do the math, he was there for about, four, I, I think he was there for two years. He was there for about two years. And over two years, there's about 4,000 shift changes. Do you know how the gospel spread? New guy sits down to Paul. Hey, dude, did I get to tell you about Jesus Christ? Yeah, like 15 times. Cool. I've totally worked the presentation. Let me just tell you again. <laughs> Later on in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, we find out that the good news is spreading about Jesus Christ and what God has done. And people in the palace are turning to God. People are turning to God. From Paul's point of view, this does not look like a good situation, humanly speaking. But from God's perspective, this is exactly what he planned to infiltrate Nero at that time. Phenomenal. So you start thinking about your situation. I know there, there are many of you in here, if you're not today struggling with joy, you will be even tomorrow or maybe even last week. 
struggling with, how do I really have joy in my life? The situations I'm going through right now, the, the, the problems that I have, I want you to think about that for a second. And the question I have for you is, are, are you looking at these problems from, from your point of view, from your point of knowledge, from everything, from your scope, your perspective, or are you looking at your situations from God's perspective? See, I believe that was the secret of Paul's joy, is he adopted God's perspective. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, this is, a, this is a verse that we've talked about many, 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 many times. And if you've been hanging out in church for any length of time, you've probably heard Romans 8, 28. It's probably one of the most important verses of all times. It's one that uh, my parents gave to me as a life verse. And here's what it says. We know that God causes everything, not just some situations, not just, uh, just, just, not, uh, just the things that are really good, but God causes everything. And here's the key to this verse, to work together. It's very interesting. God causes everything in your life to work together for the good of those who love God. And two things about this verse. First, it doesn't necessarily say that everything in life is good. And I think that's where this, this verse is often misquoted. Oh, it's going to turn out fine because everything's good. Life is just, every situation is good. That, that's not what the verse is saying here. It's not saying that, that everything in life is hunky-dory and everything's good. What's good about somebody uh, struggling with leukemia and, and somebody who has struggled with cancer in your life who has totally died? What's good about that? What's, what's good about, about, about kids who are being abused? What's good about that? What's good about some of the situations that are happening in your life where you feel totally compromised and, and people are hurting you? What's good about that? See, the Bible is not saying that everything is good. What the Bible is saying here is, is and I need to remind you, is that God is not the author of evil in this life. But what the Bible is saying here is that he uses all things to work together for good. When's the last time that you were just really hungry? You're watching TV and you're like, I'm just hungry. Just really hungry. You know what I could go for? Man, I could go for just a big tub of Crisco. Anybody do that? Anybody just, just dive in, just on the couch? Oh, it's so good. Man, this is like heaven in a can. Anybody do that? No. Anybody just going for a snack and being like, man, I could go for a big bag of flour right now. A big bag of tasteless, tasteless, dry flour. Man, talk about that caked in my mouth. There's nothing better, right? Anybody just going to get a big, big spoonful of sugar? Just, man, that's a, probably a little bit better. Maybe. But I don't do that. I don't do that. Especially as I get older. <laughs> Find out what it does to you. See, this is what, what this, this verse is talking about. You take all those ingredients, you put it together. You know what all those ingredients make? They make cake, right? All those ingredients are, are, are foundational to cake. And you take a look at Romans chapter 8 here, and, and, and all things, all things, all things work together. Together. Some things in life are very distasteful, but Romans 8 says here, when God puts them together, He redeems it. That is his job. He redeems our life and our story and the circumstances we find ourselves in, the situations that, are, that come our way. He redeems that 
more than we could ever imagine. Well, the second thing about Romans 28, I just have to point out really quickly here, 828, is that this promise that he's saying here, it's not for everyone. He says, everything works together for the good of those who what? Those who love God. In other words, the promise here is, is for those who say, God, I don't understand it. I don't understand my circumstances. I don't understand why I'm having the problems in my life. I don't understand what's going on. But here's what I do understand is that I need to be at the center of you. I need to have a relationship with you. And I believe from the bottom of my heart that when you do that, you receive hope. See, I really believe that's what, what's behind joy is that when I put my faith in who God is, I receive hope, and because of that, I get a bigger picture, a better perspective on my life. This isn't on the screen, but really quickly, in Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about this, and here's what he says. Be joyful because you have hope. You miss enjoying your life? You need a better perspective. That perspective, God's perspective, brings hope. And when I have hope, I have joy. And when I start to realize that God is working through my problems, even though I can't see it, even though I can't explain it, situations that don't make sense, when I know He's there, it brings me hope, and that hope turns into joy. Because I know it's just not about <laughs> the end of the story, but it's about God walking with me, promising life that all things are going to work together 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 for the benefit of my life that's the promise and that's good news there's a second secret that as we look at uh, philippians that paul starts pointing out not only he says that you got to you got to get a bigger perspective of what god is doing with your life but he says if you are going to be joyful no matter what here's what he says that I need, to, uh, I need a priority to live by. I need a priority for my life to live by. Not only a perspective to live from, but a priority to live by. See, here's the, here's the deal. My life, your life, we're always going to be guided by pressures or priorities in my life, right? And if you don't decide what's important to your life, if you don't decide what you really value and what you're going after, then there are a lot of other people in your life that would be happy to do that for you, <laughs> Right? Some of them are called your boss. Some of them are family members. But there are all kinds of people that would love to set expectations for you and have you serve what's valuable to them. And, 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 and all this pressures to conform. And here's the deal. If I don't decide what's at the core value of my life and what's important to me, what the value and the purposes of my life, then I'm going to spend the rest of my life just being pushed around like a bunch of seaweed, just going to and from with other people's expectations. And see, Paul didn't do that. Paul never did that as we read his writings here. The reason why I believe Paul could be happy and joyful in the midst of even being uh, locked up in, in prison is because he lived with priorities set by God. He had God's perspective and he had priorities that God set for him. He clarified in his life what was important. We're going to read this here in a second. He didn't let other people distract him with secondary issues. He locked in, he targeted in to the priority that God set for his life, and he was like a bulldog. He went for it. He was not swayed 
And it's interesting to me that even while Paul was in prison, while he was waiting there, again, to be executed, people on the outside, people outside the prison were criticizing him ruthlessly. Ruthlessly. They were, they were jealous. They were kicking him when he was down. They were going after him saying all kinds of slanderous things against Paul. And, 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 and I've, do, you, do you enjoy criticism? Anybody here just like, man, I could just use some great criticism right now. No! Criticism just totally saps your joy. So not only is, is Paul incarcerated, chained to some palace guards 24-7, but there are people on the outside just totally kicking him, kicking him verbally when he's down. And i got to say about criticism, there's, there's very few things that will rob your joy faster than people talking smack about you. Right? People talking and, and just saying bad stuff about you. There's very few things that will rob your joy faster than that. And when somebody says bad things about me, do you know what I want to do? Oh, I just want to retaliate. I totally want to retaliate. Last night, is my wife here? I didn't clear this with her. She's in preschool. Good. Nobody share. This is our little secret. No, she'll be fine with it. She, uh, she took the girls on a date, and they went to go see Wally. And she shows up to the theater, and there are people in her seats. And so she, she comes over, and she says, hi, I'm sorry. And she, she was very nice. She told me about this. She said, I'm sorry, but these, uh, these are seats that we paid for. And I'm not going to go into it, but the woman just ripped her to pieces. And, and, and Beth just tried to smile, and she told me, she said, I want to take this woman. You know, <laughs> and she's, you know, and can you imagine my little sweet wife just saying, I was going to take her, you know, and that's how she was feeling, but she was wearing a smile, and, and she, was, you know, she was wondering if people are watching, you know, I need to, I need to be calm and everything, and, and, the, the, and the lady was like yelling and being mean and blowing her breath out and being like, well, and her whole family's there, my girls are there, this lady's kids are there, blah, 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 and, and Beth, Beth is just like, and she finally says, you're just not being very nice. I'm like, that's what you told her? You know, I could have thought of a million other things, right? And the lady turns around to her and goes, well, you're just a blankety blank. And I said, then what'd you do? She said, I sat down. I'm glad that was her and not me. (laughs) Thank you. She'll love that. People clap. One person clapped for you, honey. (laughs) Because when people say things like that to me, when people go after me, I want to retaliate. I want to get even or defend. And that's just, that's horrible, but it's in my sin nature to do that. I start retaliating. But here's the key is then I lose my joy. Sucked out of me. And Paul wouldn't do that. Notice what Paul's response here is here. Philippians 1, chapter 18, he says this. He says, but what does it matter? What does it matter? In other words, what does it matter that I'm in jail or that, that people are being criticizing me or, or calling me names or going after me or attacking me? What does it matter? And you feel like, well, tell us, Paul. What does it matter? Go for it. But he doesn't. He doesn't go after these people. He says, here's the important thing. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. 
See, these people on the outside were totally criticizing Paul. But in his mind, he's like, well, they're criticizing me because of Jesus. So kind of in return, they're talking about Jesus. We're all talking about Jesus. It's good. It's good. What does it matter? Christ, whether it be from false motives or pure motives, Christ is being taught. And here's how he ends his verse in 18. He says, and because of this, I rejoice. Seriously, Paul? Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. <laughs> it's almost like he knew we were going to read that. Really? Yes. I am going to be happy. Why? Because you're a fake Christian with it just plastered on, and that's what I decided to do. No, because his priorities have been set by God. And what's his priorities? To live for Christ. His perspective is God's perspective. And what is that perspective? That my life, that God is in control of my life. That's my perspective. God, God cares for me, that God loves me, that God sees the entirety of my life from start to finish, and he cares for me. Romans 8, 28. And so I adopt his priorities. And even while he's in prison, people are coming to know Christ. He says, I rejoice. I'm not going to let anyone steal my joy. I'm not going to have time for these people. I'm not going to even fuss with these critics. I'm not going to deal with these, even if they're major issues or minor issues. I don't care about them. As long as the message is getting out, as long as Christ is being exemplified, then so what? I'm not going to lose my joy over that. If we were to get personal and, and ask the question of how many arguments have you had or interactions with people that are really over issues that just aren't very important, what would your answer be? My guess is um, most arguments fall into that category. Over non-essential issues. And the follow-up question to that is, then is it worth losing your joy? Emphatically, no. And Paul says, it's not worth it. You've got to know what's important for your life and stick with it. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked by the non-essentials. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul, being spun out of control by his priorities or others' priorities, but not locking into God's priorities? So two secrets so far. Paul says, you want to, you want to have joy no matter what in your life? First one is you need a bigger perspective. Second, you need, you need better priorities, God's priorities for your life. Here's the third theme that we find in, in Philippians. If I'm going to experience joy in my life, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter what happens, then I have to have power to live by. Kind of the cool thing uh, about this um, the series we're in is I get, to, I get to be with you for the next two weeks, this week and then next week. And as we sat down to look at this series, um, I picked the two topics of, of uh, joy and power. And I thought next week we'd talk about power, but then I realized, you know what? Those two topics are so intimately joined that I had to throw it in this week. Because see, I can't manufacture joy on my own. I can do it for like, you know, just a little bit of time, but not sustaining, lasting joy. I can't do that because I have very little control over my life. And I think that's what's happening here is that at this point in Paul's life, he had very little control. 
if not any at all, he's in prison, he's in chains, he's alone. He's, he, he, he was in a bad situation, apparently, humanly speaking, but he was joyful. He found a way to be joyful no matter what happened. He was optimistic. Why? Why? Because I think it had something to do with power. Paul is his powerhouse. Why? Because he's just really good? Why? Because he just could muster it up and find it in his back pocket somewhere, whip out the power card? No. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Right here in the last chapter of Philippians, he says this, I can do everything. I can do everything on my own. <laughs> I can do everything if I get out on parole. I can do everything if people would stop criticizing me and just get back into line. I could do everything if I would stop being chained to these smelly guys that are with me all the time, you know, that don't want to hear. There are no conditions on that. He says, I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. <sighs> Again, probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, but probably one of the least applied verses in the Bible. See, I, I, I think the reason why is because I'm not sure that we actually believe that. Look at it. Read it again. Everything? Really? Do we, do we actually believe that? Do I believe that I can really do all things? That, 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 that I have the strength for, for really everything that comes my way? Do I really believe that? Do, do, I, do I believe that I'm equal to, to anything? And I think, no, I don't think that I believe that all the time. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. I'm not sure that everything falls into that anything category for me. See, I might have the strength for some things in my life. I might, I might be able to, to get through a few things or cope with a few things, but all things? No, I don't, I don't have the power for that. I don't have the strength for that. And see, that's generally when my joy gets sapped away is because when circumstances are great, I'm on my own power. I don't need God. When things are lining up perfectly, when smooth sailing, who needs God? I'm thinking in my sinful nature because I'm in control. I'm, it's good. It's It's good. And then everything crashes down. And suddenly I find out how much power I actually have. Nothing. And Paul says, in everything, in everything, I have strength. Here's the cool thing about this verse. Don't you love it that Paul's actually in prison? I do. Because it almost makes this so much more valuable. It, it, it lends uh, credibility to this verse here. Because he's speaking out of experience. Right? He's got the resume. He's like, look, I'm incarcerated. I'm writing this. I'm living it right now. I'm going through probably even worse than you're going to experience in your life. I've been there. I know that this is true. And I know that, that God has been with me. I know that I have strength with him because of Jesus Christ, that I can face anything that happens in this life. And you just take inventory really quickly of Paul's life. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was hungry. He was beaten. He was mistreated. He was bitten by snakes. He, he had all of these things going on. And yet he remained joyful because it wasn't his strength. It was never his power, ever. He knew that he could face God with anything because of the power of God. And I just, I have to pause here really quickly because I think sometimes... There, and, and you know, there, there are some people, maybe even lucky people, who, who seem not to struggle with this issue of, of uh, self-confidence. Do you know those people in your life? 
They're just super self-confident. And they just, they just always have a great outlook. They just don't beat up on themselves. Do you know anybody like that? And, and, and I think sometimes at first we look at Paul and, and Paul appears to be one, one of these people. But I think as we start to read into what he's written here, we start to really understand that, that he had a lot of struggles. <laughs> and, and, and that at face value, it looked like he had it all together. But when you start unpacking this resume, these experiences that he's had, it's pretty dark. And Paul is saying here, I know where my strength comes from, and it's not in me. It is in Jesus Christ. And I've struggled with that. I've struggled with self-sufficiency, and I think this is one of those verses, and maybe you're like this too, where I've got to say it over and over and over and over and over and over again. How can I live a joyful life? Not of my strength. Through all things... I am strengthened by him. In all things, I'm strengthened by him. When you get in that four-car pileup on vacation in California, I'm strengthened by him. When I'm having these incredibly tough conversations with, with Beth, or thinking about the future, or thinking through finances, or thinking through K2, or thinking through situations with individuals, or when someone says something that just totally rips you up side, one down the other, in all things, in all circumstances, with a teenager who just doesn't seem to get it, with this and discipline problems with your boss, with, with man, if I could just, I was passed over for the problem. All of these things, all of these things, every single one of them, in those things, I'm strengthened by God. It's not my power. That's the secret. That's the secret. In another translation on this verse, in the Amplified, I like the word that's chosen there. I'm strengthened by God, Christ in me. The word that's used there is I'm infused with him. Do you like that? That really resonates for me, infused. It's just not, oh, God, kind of fill in some of the gaps, you know? Just, just you know, I'll do this much. You just kind of fill in this much here. That's not being infused. Infused is I'm emptied and it is Christ in me. That's power. You and I, are, we're, we're going to need power this week. I can already feel it. I can feel this week starting already. I'm going to need power. You're going to need power to be able to sustain, to be able to really have this topic of joy, to really, really, really target this joyful life. And as I'm thinking about power, there are two things that immediately come to mind. I'm, I'm going to need power this week, and maybe you are too. Power to get, forgive people that are just mean. <laughs> people that are hurtful to me. People that, that uh, try to rob my joy because of broken relationship or whatever. I'm going to need the power to forgive. And people may not even know it in my life, but God gives me the power to forgive and deal with that even before they know it or will ever know it. That's raw power power to live in the future and not in the hurt of my past. The other power I'm thinking about this week that, that maybe you and I are going to need is, is power to, to endure circumstances and, and situations that aren't going away. Because let's, let's just be real for a second. There are circumstances that, that are probably going on in your life that there may not be an end in sight to it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, oh, strength and power and prior, perspective and priorities, all of these things, if we do all this stuff, then life's going to just be easy. No. That's not what it means. Joy, joy is a choice. 
life you just got to do. And there's going to be situations, even this week, maybe new ones for some of you in here, where, where you're looking at this and your, your life comes crashing down and you have a choice and a moment to say, am I going to do it on my own power? Because if I'm going to do it on my own power, then my joy is circumstantial. But if, but if I'm going to do it on God's power, I can actually be joyful in the midst of whatever, whatever Satan tries to rob my joy from, whatever he goes after in my life. That's raw power to say, God, would you sustain me? Sustain me through the circumstance that doesn't seem like it's going away because we all live in areas of our life where there are, there are these things that, that I know will never change that are out of my control but not out of God's. And so am I going to take advantage of that power? Because when I do... <laughs> But I finally come to a place before God and say, I, I, I've, got, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. You promised me joy. Infuse me with your strength. Then I start living this life that Paul got a glimpse of. Pure joy. God's perspective. I need a bigger point of view. <laughs> I need to understand the entirety of what God has planned. And I can find that out through Scripture. God's priorities. What has He called you to do that only you can do, that He's asking you to do? Paul was a pit bull on that. He did not waver. And when he did what God asked him to do, that was pure joy. And God's power, infused, strengthening, producing joy. I want to leave you with that. As the band comes up, I'd like you to, to take a, a personal inventory, if you will. I want you to think over the circumstances in your life. Kind of do this personal review. Has your joy been circumstantial? Do you, do you find yourself on this joy roller coaster? You know, when things are great, then I'll be happy. Then I'll experience joy. Or is it said of you? that even in the midst of pain and circumstance, you experience joy. I'd like you to think about the, maybe one topic, one major thing, and you know what that is, that Satan's trying to rob joy from you on. And the conversation I'd love for you to, to, to have with God during our worship time is, is maybe confessing, God, I... I don't have a perspective. I've been having my perspective, which is incredibly limited. And when I have my perspective, I have no hope, which leads to fear. God, give me your perspective. Maybe it's priorities. Maybe you've been chasing everybody's priorities, maybe even your own other than God's. Have you been doing what God has called you to do in your life? Because when you don't do what God has called you to do and what he's asking of you, you can't experience joy. Or maybe it's this third area that we've talked about, this, this power do you, do, you, do, you know how, do you know how to tell when, when you're living on your own power? You're tired. You're exhausted. And you start looking at your circumstances and you say, it looks incredibly helpless right now. Hopeless. And I don't know how I can ever get through that. That's how you know you're living on your own power. So in the next few minutes as we start to sing and start to talk about this real joy and worship God, would you do with this personal inventory? Which one is it that you need? A new perspective? Get back to the priorities that God has called you to? 
or to just say, God, today, right now, Sunday morning in August, the first Sunday in August at K2, would you infuse me with your power? Maybe for the first time ever in my life. But I need that desperately. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love letter to us. Thank you for the clarity. Thank you, God, for allowing Paul to go through such an incredibly tough time for our benefit. That as we look at his life and we see the, the faithfulness of you and the promises that you fulfilled in his life, that, that through that I, I, I have hope. And God, I can only imagine some of the circumstances. I think about my life and the situations and, and, and corporately what's represented here as far as just problems. And God, when I think of this, this, this enemy, Satan, who just hates us and just wants to destroy our life and steal our joy and, and kill any hope that we have, I can't imagine what, what we're all struggling through corporately. And God, but you know, see, and that's the beautiful perspective. You know, you know. You know every heart in here. And you know exactly what we need. And you know how to sustain us in the midst of that. So God, would you do that? I claim Romans 8, 28. God, would you take our lives and continue to work them together for good and redeem so that we can, we can lift our heads high and point to you and say, you are our joy. You're my joy. And I rejoice. As Paul said, yes, again, I rejoice and again and again and again. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. God, thank you. Thank you for your strength and your power. And God, with everything that is within us, we worship you. And we call you mighty. We call you king. We call you savior. And we worship you, the great lover, sustainer of our souls. Ah, oh, thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.